What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the For the Berg podcast, and once again, I'm your host, Ron Gaeta. Today's show is one specifically for every Yinzer in Pittsburgh. My guest today is lead singer of the Clarks, Scott Blazy. Scott runs through every single Clarks record. He talks about the recording process behind each one and gives us his personal favorite song from each record as well. We obviously talk a lot about Pittsburgh. He tells us everything from his favorite venue in the city to his favorite Primani sandwich, and he gives us his daily jag-off. Enjoy, guys. Nope. Mr. Pop. All right, guys, today I have Scott Blazy from the Clarks. How's it going, man? Thanks for being on the show. Hey, Ron. Thanks for having me, buddy. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, we start these usually with just getting into some of your earlier musical influences and when you decided you wanted to play music for a living or when you knew that was an actual possibility. Yeah, sure. Well, early musical influences, I, I born in 64, so I grew up, uh, you know, mu- musically speaking, sort of in the 70s, you know, from the time I was about six until I was about 16. And as I'm sure you know, those early teen years and even younger, I mean, music is, is huge, or it was for me. My dad was a, lo- a lover of music and played great stuff around the house, everything from Al Green to Frank Sinatra to Willie Nelson. So um, I was exposed to a lot of good stuff early on, and then I was a product of 70s uh, pop radio or FM radio, you know, the hits of the day. And and then I discovered uh, Prince and Tom Petty in the late 70s when I was getting into high school and uh, you know, went through, you know, ACDC and, and, and just started discovering all the classic rock that I just kind of missed growing up. Uh, you know, the Beatles got, I, I went through a huge Beatles phase, especially when I got to college, just sort of bought all their albums and really dug into that, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, and that's about the time the band started. And, um, you know, really for the first couple years, we were just, uh, figuring it all out and we were a cover band for a while and then we started writing original music and then i think it was probably 91 or so when dve started playing our stuff uh particularly penny on the floor they they hit pretty hard and and we saw a big increase in the amount of people coming to shows and and we're starting to get booked out of town and suddenly realized that we could probably uh make a run at this and, and see if we can have a career doing it and that's when we all quit our day jobs and and started really seriously going after it. Nice. Um, so like I, I mentioned earlier before we got started here, uh, something I do with a lot of the guys when it makes sense, we do like an album run through, just a quick little story about the recording process of each album. Uh, yeah. Like I said earlier, I know you guys have a bunch of them, so we don't have to get too crazy. I, know, I don't want to take right. up too much of your time. But uh, And then your personal favorite song from, from each album. So we can yeah. start here uh, with I'll Tell You What, Man. Right, I'll Tell You What, Man, 1988. Uh, we recorded it with a guy named Hank Lawhead, who was a friend of ours and a music lover, um, who played a little guitar. And um, we recorded it at a studio on Penn Hills. I can't even recall the name of it now. And, uh, you know, we were just figuring out how to write songs and how to play. It was, you know, sort of three chords in a cloud of dust is what we called it, just mm-hmm. loud, loud and fast. And 
It wasn't very complicated. And, and the thing I remember really from the process was the fact we were all writing together. We, you know, it wasn't like I wrote, wrote a song and bring it in and, and the guys would put parts to it. We would just get into a rehearsal space and, and somebody would have a, maybe a guitar riff idea or a melody line or something. And we would all work on it together, which was really a fun thing to do. And I'd say my favorite track on that is probably On My Way Back Home. Uh, it's a song I wrote about having to move back home after I graduated from college. I didn't have a job. The band was just getting started. So it was a little bit of a, uh, a shock <laughs> going from, you know, living alone at a university, 21, 22 years old and doing as you pleased uh, to suddenly living in my parents' house and having to, you know, respect them and and uh, and their their schedules and their lives and and not make my mother worry too much when I come in at two or three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. She'd um, up. I'd say, Mom, go to bed. She's like, I can't, can't go to bed until you're home. I said, but what, what, did, what did you do when I was at school? She said, I didn't think about it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the so, next um, one here, the uh, self-title. Yeah, self-title Clarks 2. We recorded at a place called Alpha Star in McKeesport. It's no longer there. With a guy named Nason Gig was a producer. He was actually the, he had been the uh, bass player for Norm Nardini and the Tigers. And I don't know how we met Nason, but he he was uh, a producer there. And that was, you know, I started writing more. Greg started writing some songs on his own and we would bring it into the band and, and just hash things out and, and Penny on the Floors on that one. And that was really, uh, you know, that's probably my favorite track on that. It, I, it's, um, it was one of the slower things that we had written up to that point, sort of a, a, a breakup song, if you will, sort of heart on the sleeve type of a tune. And I uh, wasn't really sure if the guys would dig it or not. And uh, they all loved it. And much to our surprise, DVE started playing, playing it a ton. And it really yeah. just, uh, that's when it took off for us. Yeah, awesome. Uh, third one here, Love Gone Sour. Love Gone Sour, Suspicion and Bad Debt. My favorite album cover of the band's career with the guy with the armadillo on his head. <laughs> it's a, a painting by our friend Dave Klug we commissioned. And... Uh, uh, lots of good stuff on that. It's, it's a sprawling album, I think 14 or 15 songs. And we recorded with a guy named Barney Lee uh, over in Dormont. And um, uh, really fun sessions. You know, we had all at this point, we'd all quit our day jobs. So we were taking everything a little more seriously. We were traveling more, playing out of town a lot more and, and trying to write, uh, you know, expand our songwriting styles. And so the, the album is there's a lot of different styles and sort of experiments on it and trying different things and cigarettes on that uh on that particular album and um you know it's it's funny like it's that song really helped the band uh, get bigger people love it i'm really not fond of the recording the studio recording of that song i don't really like the way my voice sounds there's a lot about that album that that i don't care for nothing that the band did or anything but i was still finding my way as a singer but there's a song in there called Promised Land, which I think is a really, really cool song that we never play. That's probably my favorite. Awesome. Next here's Someday Maybe. Uh, Someday Maybe came out in 96, the first album that we went out of town to record. We worked with a guy named Tim Bamba that we had met through the guys and girls in Rusted Root. And uh, Tim recorded or produced that record at a place called The, uh, the Clubhouse in um the in the hudson valley upstate new york um in germantown new york not far from uh, uh woodstock where they had woodstock and stuff so a lot of music up there a lot of studios really a cool experience going up i think we were up there for 
almost two weeks straight just staying up there and that's what we did every day we just get up and go to the studio and record and this was the last album that we actually recorded on two inch tape um after that it would all be digital so i remember specifically you know instances where tim the producer was literally cutting the tape in order to do edits like drum edits and it's it's funny now it's such a sort of a prehistoric <laughs> way of recording um and uh, some really good stuff on that album. Uh, Courtney and Mercury, uh, Caroline is on that album. And uh, uh, Caroline's a really good track that I like a lot from that. And that was the album that got us signed to MCA. Uh, the guy that ran the label really liked Caroline, the song. And that's what we put out as the first single. Nice. Yeah. Uh, next one, Let It Go. Uh, Let It Go. Probably my favorite recording experience. Um, sort of... Uh, a, a personal and professional peak for me that sort of we recorded that in 99 came out in 2000 and uh, the band was really really tight at that point we'd been traveling all over and really going all over the country um and we recorded with a guy named justin kneebank in franklin tennessee just south of nashville and we recorded it at his home studio he had a really nice little studio in uh in his house and he lived on a farm and they had horses and it was just out, you know, in the country and it was gorgeous and it was just a great experience to be out there and, and uh, completely secluded and not have anything to think about except making music. So uh, that, that's just a fantastic album. Got Born Too Late and and um, Flame and Snowman and Butterflies and Airplanes and, and a bunch of songs that we still play live. But it was um, I think it's our best selling album, probably our most popular. And um, so uh, I'd have to say Born Too Late is my favorite on that one. Nice. Uh, another happy ending? Another happy ending uh, is the second in what we call the Knee Bank Trilogy, which is Justin, the producer and recording in, in Franklin. Uh, we didn't do this one in his house. I think we recorded a lot of this uh, at a studio and then we did some vocals at his house. But uh, uh, really like this album and this uh, the interesting thing about this one was we started working on it at the beginning of 2001 and it came out in 2002 so 9-11 happened really right in the at the beginning of the recording itself so we had written a bunch of songs 9-11 happened uh, we wrote a couple more songs and then we did the recording and it came out in 2002 and it really um, it, it's it's like this bipolar album there's songs on it like on saturday which are very light pop uh fun songs and then there's heavier stuff like uh hey you and wasting time and songs that were written after 9 11 <laughs> that uh, have a completely different um feel uh lyrically musically and uh um hey you is a really good song i'd say that's probably my favorite on that one awesome uh fast moving cars Fast Moving Cars was the last one we did with Justin, uh, recorded in 2003. And the song Fast Moving Cars is my favorite from that one. Uh, really love that song. Still play it when I do my acoustic solo shows. And uh, yeah, just another another Nashville record. Uh, spent a lot of time down there over that five or six year period um, and just fell in love with it. And um, trying to remember, we recorded it at this... Uh, pretty well-known studio um that one didn't didn't happen at justin's house but uh 
a lot of good memories from that. I remember going out and eating sushi a lot. <laughs> awesome. Uh, relentless or re- restless days. Sorry. <laughs> well, restless days was um, after we did fast moving cars in 2004. Uh, I moved. Well, at the beginning of that year, I moved to Texas. Uh, my wife and I got together and and she was expecting our first daughter uh, who was born in October of 04. So all of 2004, that record came out. And we were touring a bunch. And then I was living in Texas uh, for about four years and traveling back and forth, meeting the guys on the road or coming back to Pittsburgh to do shows. And so we didn't make any records for a long time. We were all, I think, just needed a little break. Uh, our record deal was done with Razor and Tie, who had done the previous three records. So it was just a whole new phase for the band. We were working with a guy named Sean McDonald. We had worked on a, a couple of tracks with him. Uh, specifically the river that Springsteen cover that we did and DVE played that a good bit and then uh, so we decided to make a record with Sean I moved back to Pittsburgh in 07 and so 2008 or so we started working with Sean and um, I really like some of the songs I wrote for this record I've made a conscious effort to write uh, about other people sort of write in the third person uh, just got a little tired of just writing about what I was dealing with and at that point I was I was happily married with two young daughters and uh, it's hard to write about uh, domestic bliss right. <laughs> uh-huh. it's, much, it's much easier to write about uh, breakups and and, uh, and, and in, in the case of restless days I wrote songs just stories about characters men and women uh, down and out desperate uh, possibly a criminal. <laughs> um, so, you know, just sort of darker material. And there's a song on there called Midnight Rose um, about a guy who escapes from jail after committing a crime that I really like. Awesome. So it's not really like a concept album, but each song is kind of like a concept song. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And there's a, there's a real loose thread um, for my songs in that, you know, and at this point, Greg and I were sort of sharing songwriting duties. So, uh, you know, he probably wrote five or six on that album and I wrote four or five. And, uh, there seems to be a common thread that runs through that album. I think it's an underappreciated Clark's album. I think there's some really, really good stuff on it, especially the first half of the album, I think is really strong. Next one here, feathers and bones. Feathers and bones is, is right up there with one of my favorite all time Clark's records. Um, it's, it's right there with Let It Go. Uh, took a long time to make. It was a very uh, personal record that when we started, uh, from the point we started until it was finished, we had many close relatives and friends pass away. Uh, my dad died. I think uh, Dave's grandmother Greg's mother, uh, you know, just Rob's mother-in-law. I mean, it was just, it was just seemed like it was one after the other in a year and a half span. And so a lot of the songs are are about love and loss. And, and I wrote a song called Broken Dove, which was really about my dad's passing, uh, in the guise of a a song about a guy who who loses his, his lover. But, uh, it was really more about, uh, my dad. Uh, terrific album again produced by sean mcdonald um one of my favorites uh rewind uh rewind was an album of cover songs that we wanted to do just something fun after feathers and bones feathers and bones was uh uh sean mcdonald the producer really became the fifth member of the band and he and i always use the analogy like for that record we were also scattered me and rob had families 
um, and with all the, the trauma that we were all going through, we were rarely in the studio at the same time. We were m making the record by basically just saying, you know, bringing all this stuff to Sean, just like building a house, just bring all the, him the, the materials and say, just build the house. Here's everything you need. And that's kind of the way Feathers and Bones was as a recording. For Rewind, we all wanted to be in the same room. We all wanted to be playing live. We all wanted to be, be able to look at each other and feed off each other musically. And we wanted to do it quickly. We didn't want to uh, take a long time. So we recorded it in like like one one long weekend, you know, two or three days of, of long days in the studio. And then I think Rob may have gone back and recorded a couple guitar overdubs, overdubs and I came back and, and redid some vocals. But it was just a, a really fast, fun exercise in, in reconnecting with our roots with the songs that we played when we were just starting out and, and by the bands that we loved at the time like REM and The Replacements and Jason and the Scorchers these sort of uh, American guitar bands of the 80s and early 90s awesome uh, what would the, the favorite song of that one be uh, wow, that's good that's a good question enough of that one I'd say there's a song uh, Begin the Begin uh, by REM which is a song off of their um, Life's Rich Pageant album that's just a terrific REM tune. And so we, we did a nice version of that, I thought. Nice. Uh, the last one here, the, the, the latest album, Madly in Love at the End of the World. Madly in Love at the End of the World is um, a song we made with a guy named Dave Heideck over at uh, the church recording studio in Overbrook. And it was an effort to... Uh, get back to a little more of an organic style of recording uh, all of us in the room at the same time uh, and maybe a little more on the, the countryside, a little less rock and a little more uh, pedal steel and, and those kinds of instruments and uh, really love that album, particularly the song Madly in Love at the End of the World, which is just me on acoustic guitar and our friend uh, Simon Cummings, the cellist from Cello Fury, who is just incredible. And so he came up with this great part for it. And it's really just me and, and Simon and, and a good song. And it's my favorite. But uh, yeah, good record. Really like that record. Nice. Do you guys have plans for any uh, new album or new music or anything like that? Well, no plans yet. I think being that we have a lot of downtime, um, I'm sure Greg is writing songs and I've been writing some material. Not a ton. I've been doing these Saturday night Facebook shows and so I've been sort of going back and relearning a whole bunch of old stuff so I have new material to play every week. Um, but when I do that, I'm with my if I have a guitar in my hand almost every day, I'm, I find myself just writing. It's a byproduct uh, of just having a guitar on you a lot. So, uh, so I'm writing, and I'm sure Greg is. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that when this all, you know, when we go green, so to speak, we'll be able to be in a studio together and uh, start making some music again. But the, the the our industry is in such flux right now. It's just it's hard to even imagine being in a club doing a show with people standing shoulder to shoulder. I think that's going to be a long time before. Yeah, that that's and that sucks. But it really you're, does. You're, you're probably right, though. Um, moving on to some Pittsburgh stuff here. I ask all, all the guests if they had any like favorite venues or cool show memories. Um, yeah. Like well, while they're on tour in Pittsburgh, but you guys being from the area, I'm sure you have, <laughs> sure you have a ton of those. I mean, we don't have to go through everything, but any any like your favorite venue, maybe? Sure. Or, yeah. 
Yeah, well, uh, oh my God, dude, we've played in in so many places in Allegheny County. I bet it's in, you know 30, 40, 50 different. Yeah, if not, why, this if, one's if gonna be a little actual, different. Yeah. yeah, if not actual <laughs> structures, you know, like in Point State Park on the Clemente Bridge for yeah. for the um, the New Year from '99 into 2000. That was a real highlight. That was fun. We played on the bridge. That was actually a question I was gonna ask here, yeah. so I'll, I'll I'll re-ask this here. It's um one one of them was uh your favorite Pittsburgh event that you played like if, if you guys played like a halftime show with, uh, at, at the Steelers at the Steelers game right. or the national anthem right. I know you guys played the pens at the pens game last year right um or, or like the the bridge like you said like yeah. but what, what would your favorite like cool show like that be uh, the bridge was cool but I tell you that penguin penguin yeah. game did last year was awesome yeah that was cool uh, just a neat experience to be in there to be able to play we, you know we did two songs in between the first and second and then second and third periods and we played a couple songs after you know we were up on the big screen and and uh, we got to hang out and talk to you know i talked to jay caulfield for a while it was just just a cool cool experience yeah that, that is pretty cool um something but i've been let asking me, let me answer that previous question oh, real yeah, quick. Yeah. my favorite venue is definitely was the decade Um, in Oakland just because it was the first venue that we really started playing a lot in we were young and just partying and and just having a great time and it was just wall-to-wall people sweaty young early 20s crazy people having the time of their lives nice that's awesome um something I ask all the guys obviously you know what this means but I ask um I ask everybody if they know what a jag off is, and then I tell them what it is, and then, and then I ask them. Uh, so, so pretty much being being in a band and meeting a bunch of just famous people. Um, was there anybody you met that that you were excited to meet that ended up being a, a total jag off? Most people I've met in the industry have been super nice, cool people. I met Joe Walsh. We opened up for Joe Walsh early in the '90s, and he was in his super party phase. And, and he was totally out of it. And I, you know, he sort of shook my hand and looked right through me. So, and he wasn't a jag off that I wouldn't call that a jag off is just being totally out of it. Right. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. Um, uh. Uh, but to, 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 I, I, Billy Squire, we did a show with, uh, it was a DVE toys for tots. It was like the Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving in the early nineties. And we were just young coming up band and, and Billy Squire was like the headliner and he was a dick man he was just he was just the the just uh just being a dick to everybody you know the crew his monitors weren't right he was just you know it's just like look you can want things a certain way without being a, a jag off about it yeah you know? <laughs> so, but, but you know as far as Pittsburgh people you know Pittsburghers are pretty pretty cool pretty laid back so yeah I have a, I have a bunch of Pittsburgh stuff coming up here now but uh... yeah fan fan question so uh your favorite permani sandwich and do you add an egg to it yeah dude yeah uh, cap capicola with egg uh, a little bit of hot sauce oh for sure hot sauce yeah. um yeah. best pizza shop in the burg best pizza shop uh i gotta go minio's i gotta go old school when i lived in highland park in the east end for a long time we would always go to minio's yeah <laughs> uh favorite favorite pittsburghese term uh Oh, let me think about that. I want to come up That's with a good one. Yeah. So many good ones. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to be obvious. There's, you know, I mean, the obvious ones are just the AHN, like the Don. Right. Yeah. It's going down. Dawn's in it. But <laughs> there's a real sort of subtle one that I'll give to you. And you may notice it. There's a laziness when you're pronouncing L's that turns into like a W. Like if you say Miller, it's like Miller. 
They yeah, don't yeah. The, they don't put the tongue on the roof of the mouth. They just throw it out there without. It's it's lazy, or Yin's going down hills. If Yin's go to hills, pick up a couple pillowcases. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. And a and a and a and a case of Miller High Life. It's just <laughs> it's it's a real subtle thing, but it's very Pittsburgh, and it's that that you're not closing your tongue on the roof of your mouth with the L's. <laughs> That's, um, that's that's a that's serious stuff there man that's, that's a good one <laughs> that takes a keen a keen ear oh, yeah. <laughs> uh who's your favorite pittsburgh celebrity you've met celebrity from pittsburgh i guess uh the first one that comes to mind is mario lemieux met mario a couple of times and just super nice guy very gracious uh met his family and uh the the kids that one when they were growing up they were sort of fans of the band a little bit and liked a couple of our songs like on saturday and actually got to play uh, we had some mutual friends and got to play for uh, for them a uh, little solo acoustic thing in a, in a living room at a friend's house one time, which was really cool. Nice. Yeah. I guess that kind of answers my next question. It was favorite Pittsburgh athlete of all time, Mario Lemieux. Uh, well, I, you know, Mario is, is probably number two behind Roberto Clemente. I grew up, awesome. uh, you know, I was a huge baseball fan as a kid, played Little League from six, seven years old on. So I was very well aware of who Roberto Clemente was. Uh, would race home from elementary school to watch the 71 World Series because all those games, I think, except for one, were played during the day. So I would run home from from school. I only lived a couple blocks away from the school, so I would run home to watch those games and would just watch a number 21. And then when you know he died, it was such a huge deal for me. I just remember this. It was almost unthinkable or, or, or hard for my young uh baseball loving mind to wrap my head around it so but i'll have to give roberto number one nice uh if your band could tour with just one other band for the rest of your career who would that band be and why well it would have been tom petty and the heartbreakers without thinking even another second about it um boy oh boy now i don't even know uh how about jason isbel and the 400 unit that's not a bad that's not a bad double bill (laughs) (laughs) um Last one here. It's it's kind of a weird question, but I, I, I like it. I mean, you're playing shows for, for how long? This is just bound to happen. Uh, but someone asked, when's the last time you bombed on stage and like what went wrong and how bad was it? Bombed on stage. Wow. It's happened a few times. Trust me. I'm sure, I mean, um, yeah, I bet. I've, I'm just playing so many shows. <laughs> yeah, right. Nothing, you know, honestly, nothing real recently comes to mind because in the last decade or so, We've really just been going back to places where we're established in venues and cities and places where we play a lot. And, and so it's just we don't we're not opening up for people and and we're not we're always generally in front of our own crowd. Um, but there was a show we did um, when we were touring in the early 2000s. I'll never forget. Uh, we were playing in, I think, it was Starksville, Mississippi. I mean, we were all over the country and this little club we played in and and we were touring with two other bands and and we were the middle band and there was probably 50 or 75 people in the club and, and all of them ignored us. They were all the other end of the club. (laughs) None of them had, none of them knew who we were. They weren't there to see us. Uh, And we were playing our show and I I was, I remember being so disgusted by like, why am I out? What am I doing out here? You know, it's it's kind of a homebody anyhow. I missed being at home. And um, so that was definitely a bombing situation. (laughs) (laughs) I personally didn't handle it very well either. You know, I was oh, just yeah. like, you know, there, there were times when I could kind of like just 
just roll with it and, and laugh it off. But I remember that show particularly. I was just like, I was just like, you know, fuck you people. If you don't want to, then we're done. See ya. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's all I have, buddy. Did you have any anything you wanted to say or plug or anything yeah, like dude, that? Or? That was that was great. I really appreciate the time. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ron. See ya, man. Nope. Mr. Pop.